This morning you'll wake up and you won't know where you are. You'll be greeted by a seemingly friendly face. Good morning. Let's get you up. She'll help you with your clothes. She'll take you to the washroom and help you brush your teeth and do your hair. She'll smile at you in the mirror. You'll venture to a kitchen. Someone brings you tea. You don't realize this is your kitchen. The kitchen that you have lived in and cooked in for over 20 years. You'll go about your day completely supervised, completely dependent, because without someone around you, you wouldn't do anything. Maybe you'll go for a walk, watch a movie, even work out a little, but someone is always there, guiding you, showing you. Each night, you'll have dinner, and maybe even recognize one person who joins you at the table. You'll laugh when they laugh, and be silent when they talk about the day's events. But you're unable to contribute because even what happened a mere 15 minutes ago is lost to you. Someone will take you to bed, put away your clothes, help you in the washroom, help you into your pajamas, and tuck you in. Then she'll look at you the way she always has and say, Good night, mommy. But you won't make the connection. Well, good afternoon. Uh, my name is Dr. Cindy Siwe Fansale. Um, my Twitter handle is at DocCindy, D-O-C-S-I-N-D-I. And this afternoon we're speaking about um, a very serious um, topic. We're speaking about Alzheimer's disease. And it's particularly um, touching for me because last week Terry Pratchett, who had suffered from Alzheimer's for quite some time, passed away. And it really brought the disease to the forefront. And even just yesterday, the World Health Organization was tweeting about it and giving stats and so on. My guests for this afternoon is Lorna Quinn. And she'll be speaking about Alzheimer's. I'm joined in studio by Jonathan Sinclair, and he'll be sharing some clips as well. So thank you very much, both of you, for being here to discuss this really serious topic. I think that clip just gave me chills as I was listening to it, Luna. How did you feel when you were listening to that clip? Yeah, it it is very sad to to listen to it. Um, the voice also uh, gives something away, too, that these people be treated with dignity. Mm. And, uh, yeah, it's just so poignant that there's no recognition at the end. And I think mm. that's, that's why it's important that we're having this show. And I'm mm. so glad that we have someone like you who can share with us what Alzheimer's is, the work that you do. So if you just give us a bit of background, who are you and how did you get involved with the work that you do, Lorna? Yeah, I am a registered counselor in private practice. Mm-hmm. Um, I see... Um, people, both carers and people who suffer from dementia. Um, I see those in private um, consultation as well as in support groups that I facilitate. And many years ago in my years of study, I came across um, dementia and it it was quite shocking in in studying it, the effects, behavioral, functional, cognitive, on the human brain. I got fascinated by it, and um, seeing some form of dementias in my family, um, not necessarily Alzheimer's, but other types and in other families, 
I decided to make that a special interest, um, and especially with carers who really, really struggle from time to time. It's such a, I think, when someone develops Alzheimer's in your family, the adjustment, mm-hmm. there are no words for the trauma mm-hmm. that people go through because as, you know, as the clip showed, you know, you don't recognize names, you don't recognize people, you can't remember where you are. It's so much to deal with. You know, going from a functional person to this new person. Yeah, it it can be overwhelming for for the family, and often the family are at loggerheads, or they're struggling to find where, what avenue shall I follow to get get information. They they come to me sometimes and say, I, I don't think there's anything wrong, and I say, you know what, denial in the short term is fine because it is so overwhelming, yeah. but denial obviously in the long term it's it's counterproductive one one needs to to get information and uh, know how of how to care for the road ahead mm, and Jonathan well, your interest in dementia well, and Dr. Alzheimer's. Cindy, I wanted to do the show with you today because this is a subject that's very close to my heart um I had a grand for most of my life who was the strongest person in our family most capable of doing anything and who kept everything together. And uh, this disease in the last years of her life took her away from us slowly, daily. And the thing that made me want to do the show was recently uh, Julianne Moore won the Oscar for her portrayal of a woman with Alzheimer's. And it made me start thinking of also The Notebook, which of course is a you know, one of the greatest love stories of our time. Mm. And people always refer to that movie. But what I saw in that movie, because when my gran was going through Alzheimer's, I was told to watch that movie as some sort of a comfort to me. But when I watched the movie, I was almost angry because the woman that I saw having Alzheimer's in that movie and who was playing someone with end-stage Alzheimer's, because at the end of the movie, you see her lying down on the bed with her husband and she passes away peacefully. Mm. And I was like, this is not Alzheimer's. Mm. And throughout the whole movie, I've actually got a clip just to back up what I'm saying. Although she doesn't remember the story, she's able to sit outside with her husband who reads her a story, a long story. And she looks him in the eye. She engages with him. She follows the story. Um, she's able to sit outdoors and enjoy. Her hair is brushed. Her clothes are neat. You know, she's able to walk, to sit in the chair. And mm. I was like, this is not end-stage Alzheimer's. And the thing that made me most angry was at the end of the movie, she literally, she just fell asleep and passed away. And I was like, that is not what happens. There yeah. were no feeding tubes. There were no... Uh, and that's the thing, Lorna. I think I think this is why this show, this podcast is so, this show is so important and the podcast, because people need to know the good, the bad, and the ugly. The the the, the picture, the full picture of what Alzheimer's yes, entails. Yes, um, you know, I walk the road with a lot of people from diagnosis to death. Yeah, and it is right what you say that sometimes it's it's not a pretty picture. Sometimes death doesn't come so quietly as we wish. We really wish mm-hmm. that it does. Um, you know that. Uh, Personal hygiene and grooming that takes a, a nosedive, mm. and that's very distressing to see, especially in somebody who was always well kept, you know. Mm. Um, and you say reading a story and looking at her husband um, in stages, there's no understanding. Oh, there, no. She was, although she couldn't. I mean, in this movie, although she couldn't remember that the story was about her, the fact that she could follow him from sentence to sentence, yeah, understanding, that is not Alzheimer's. Well, let's listen to the clip. 
All right, let us get it. Um, I thought, Dr. Cindy, let's play a little scientific clip about what Alzheimer's is. That's and great. then we get into yeah. that clip. Okay, fantastic. Every four seconds, someone is diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease. It's the most common cause of dementia, affecting over 40 million people worldwide. And yet, finding a cure is something that still eludes researchers today. Dr. Alois Alzheimer, a German psychiatrist, first described the symptoms in 1901 when he noticed that a particular hospital patient had some peculiar problems, including difficulty sleeping, disturbed memory, drastic mood changes, and increasing confusion. When the patient passed away, Alzheimer was able to do an autopsy and test his idea that perhaps her symptoms were caused by irregularities in the brain's structure. What he found beneath the microscope were visible differences in brain tissue in the form of misfolded proteins called plaques and neurofibrillary tangles. Those plaques and tangles work together to break down the brain's structure. Plaques arise when another protein in the fatty membrane surrounding nerve cells gets sliced up by a particular enzyme, resulting in beta-amyloid proteins, which are sticky and have a tendency to clump together. That clumping is what forms the things we know as plaques. These clumps block signaling and therefore communication between cells and also seem to trigger immune reactions that cause the destruction of disabled nerve cells. In Alzheimer's disease, neurofibrillary tangles are built from a protein known as tau. The brain's nerve cells contain a network of tubes that act like a highway for food molecules, among other things. Usually, the tau protein ensures that these tubes are straight, allowing molecules to pass through freely. But in Alzheimer's disease, the protein collapses into twisted strands or tangles making the tubes disintegrate, obstructing nutrients from reaching the nerve cell and leading to cell death. The destructive pairing of plaques and tangles starts in a region called the hippocampus, which is responsible for forming memories. That's why short-term memory loss is usually the first symptom of Alzheimer's. The proteins then progressively invade other parts of the brain, creating unique changes that signal various stages of the disease. At the front of the brain, the proteins destroy the ability to process logical thoughts. Next, they shift to the region that controls emotions, resulting in erratic mood changes. At the top of the brain, they cause paranoia and hallucinations. And once they reach the brain's rear, the plaques and tangles work together to erase the mind's deepest memories. Eventually, the control centers governing heart rate and breathing are overpowered as well, resulting in death. The immensely destructive nature of this disease has inspired many researchers to look for a cure, but currently, they're focused on slowing its progression. One temporary treatment helps reduce the breakdown of acetylcholine, an important chemical messenger in the brain, which is decreased in Alzheimer's patients due to the death of the nerve cells that make it. Another possible solution is a vaccine that trains the body's immune system to attack beta-amyloid plaques before they can form clumps. But we still need to find an actual cure. Alzheimer's disease was discovered more than a century ago, and yet still it is not well understood. Perhaps one day we'll grasp the exact mechanisms at work behind this threat, and a solution will be unearthed. Well, a better definition of Alzheimer's explanation I could not find anywhere. I think that the way they ex um, he explains how... The, the first thing to go is the short-term memory and then so on. I mean, the, the early symptoms are forgetfulness. Yes. Mm. And, you know, when the patients that you've seen, Lorna, what mm. else do they display in the early, in the early phases? There, there is um, this 
misplacing of certain things, mm-hmm. um, not remembering um, names. But but early on, it is not so pronounced. It can mm-hmm. easily be dismissed. You know, sometimes we forget where we put things and we think, whoopsie, what's going on? But we can attribute it to something, mm-hmm. be it stress or, you know, um, something like that. But this is ongoing and it gets worse. So I think often in the beginning it's often misdiagnosed. I know in the beginning stages my gran would show personality changes, yeah. very insecure um, mm-hmm. and thoughts of paranoia and just irrational thoughts. And at that point the doctor said it was depression. It was that she was going through a life change and that yeah. she was – you know these yeah, things, yeah. and it was only years later, looking back, that we were like, no, that was but the start of it. Yes. Yeah. We've got to make sure. That's why I think diagnosis is important, so that uh, a medical practitioner can eliminate depression, can eliminate thyroid, and so on, and so on, and so on, and other types of dementia, because Alzheimer's is one type of dementia. Mm. It's the most common form of dementia, um, but but and also to treat it. Because one can't necessarily treat all the dementias with mm. the same medication. No, you can't. Be very no, careful. Can't. I mean, just looking at the stats, though, I mean, I was reading on the WHO um, timeline mm. that 47.5 million people are diagnosed with dementia, mm. um, and 7.7 new million cases a year. Mm. And of those, 60 to 70 percent are Alzheimer's. Mm. So it just goes to show that the, you know the the burden is high, yes. but the the, uh, the the onus is on the healthcare practitioners, doctors, and other health mm. workers to make the correct diagnosis. So are there any mm. tools available? I know that when we did psychiatry, we did learn about dementia, but I must tell you that the psychiatry block is is, is short, mm-hmm. and many times people take leave and they just they see the psychiatry block as a resting block, and that needs to change because we need to be making the correct diagnoses. Definitely. If one looks at the road ahead and the um, what we are facing with, you know, just looking at, um, I think it was the the star with a, a woman celebrating her hundredth birthday, yeah. skydiving. Oh, it's in Cape Town. No. Yeah, <laughs> we've got an aging population, mm-hmm. so yes. there will be more d- uh, a dementia, mm-hmm. and uh, the economic burden. Um, <laughs> It's it's huge. So, and often it's not just the patient, you know, who suffers. Uh, I'm sure you know in your counselling, it's the caregiver that mm. does most of the work, who does most of the silent suffering that no one sees. Mm. Yeah, I I give a caution to to carers in in my groups. Really care for yourself, and we look at what caring for self mm. means. Sometimes we take it so for granted, but. With with caring for something like uh, Alzheimer's, they get so tired and exhausted, mm-hmm. and their immune system takes a dive. Mm. So um, they focus on that because I have seen health decline so badly in the carer. Yeah. Then who really cares for for the person mm. who's who's experiencing dementia? And in terms of the spread of the disease, is it gender specific? I know that we tend to associate Alzheimer's disease with age, but even then, that's not correct because it's not necessarily um, associated with being elderly. Yeah, it's it's more probable. Yeah, um, the the older one gets, but not necessarily. Mm. Um, and and gender specific, like mm, no. Okay, so it's, it's across. Uh, I would say it's female across and, the board yeah. and male. Mm. I, I find there's a misperception that Alzheimer's and dementia type illnesses is just forgetfulness, and I, I don't think until you've really spent time with the person who really has it that the forgetfulness is almost the easy part of it. You can deal with your family member forgetting your name. You can deal mm. with them forgetting their keys, but when it comes to things like when they start forgetting how to swallow. 
when they start forget they can't sleep, mm-hmm. when they lose control of their mm-hmm. bowel. Yeah. Um, those type of things, the hallucinations, the paranoia, the stress that they're under, it's, there's so much more. And looking back, when my gran was forgetful and she was telling stories over and over again, mm. sure, it gets a bit annoying, but that was the easy part of the Alzheimer's. And they told us that one day you'll miss these days. And, you know, when it came time for her and she didn't talk at all and she just would stare, we did miss those days of oh. telling the same story mm. over and over again. Oh, and so mm. touching. So it's, it's not just the memory forgetting that that's the easy part for me. Mm. The rest is when you lose control of your body. And the diagnosis. I mean, your grandmother, who made the, fi- the eventual diagnosis of Alzheimer's disease? I think it was in the last three years of her life when uh, she, my grandfather couldn't take it anymore and he literally sent her to a type of a mental facility mm-hmm. um, just to have it tested and they thought she might have a brain tumor because she was just acting so irrationally and she was locking him outside the house and she would say, I want my husband, where's Ronnie, where's Ronnie? And, and he was outside. He, he would say, I am Ronnie. I, he'd say, I Joe, I'm here, I'm right here. And she would say, no, I want Ronnie. And... You know, it got to that point and she couldn't be left alone for two minutes. Mm. It was so difficult. Uh, we had to take turns babysitting her, you know, and mm. 15 minutes looking after her felt like three hours. It was so tiring. Um, and also she was so afraid of everything. Mm. It's not like you could take her for a walk to distract her. Everything, every noise frightened her. She didn't know what anything was. Um, and she would, when she did realize that she needed the bathroom, you would say, okay, you would take her to the bathroom. And by the time you got there, she didn't want to be there. She didn't know what she had to do there. Sure, Lorna. I think that's what you're dealing with when, in mm. terms of the support groups. Those are the kinds of stories you're hearing all the time. Absolutely, yes. And uh, y- you, you say it so well in, in all these experiences that one has. Um, it is no wonder that that Alzheimer's is is called a, a living loss. Mm. Um, it's yeah. it's not it's not the finality of of death or a finality, you know, um, that you you know this is going to end somewhere soon. Mm. It is long, yeah, <laughs> and um, there's this gradual loss. Yeah. Of, uh, and and also in in communicating, that's mm. that's a difficult one because suddenly. We're required to communicate in a different way with people who can't remember anymore, who yeah. can't find the words, and it's very challenging. So how do you communicate? All right. Yeah. One of the things to to really remember is um, the that rationality, logic has left the room. Okay. So we've got to communicate in shorter sentences, yeah. simpler words, perhaps um, make Eye contact because the attention span is shorter and not to alarm them, mm-hmm. suddenly say something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think. Um, it's very difficult um, I, not to compare it to other diseases, but if you were dealing with a cancer patient, you could say, how is your pain today? Mm. Where is the pain? How are you feeling? That's right. With Alzheimer's, the person can be in pain and in agony and in the end stages the only way we could tell that my grand was in pain was if all her muscles were tense up. Okay, but then how do you know where the pain is coming from? Yeah. Because you can't ask them. Yeah. They don't know. Yeah. I often think of um, uh, children, you know, with, with littleies, one guesses, you know, okay, mm. you go through a process of elimination. It's an algorithm. Yeah. 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 And now the same, mm. you know, 
is it an infection? Is it a, a, a discomfort? Are the clothes too tight? Mm. You know, you go through that list. Yeah. And in terms of um, um, f- facilities in, in South Africa, in Johannesburg, for example, if you know you have a, a relative who has Alzheimer's disease and you want them to be admitted, what what options do we have? There are many um, care facilities, um, well run, I must say, and uh, but you know it's about affordability. That's the thing, isn't it? Now, yeah, that is. So the options are carers at home, care facility, um, you know, be that private or government. Yeah. Um, yeah, it becomes a difficult decision. And that decision, to make that decision, mm. to, to move a loved one yeah. is, a, is a large I think one. people think that they, they're letting their loved one down by sending them to a facility but it's not always the case. I think mm. sometimes it's a bigger act of love to send them to a facility where they can be properly taken care of. Because it's not like a child who you can sort of take around with you while you go to your shopping, while you mm. go to your banking and just babysit them. No, that type of stuff is traumatic for them. Mm. Um, so either you have to literally sit next to them in the chair all day and comfort them and or... You know, yeah. what is the alternative? Yeah, it's, it's for me, it's a best care approach. And this is very, very hard to get to that decision. And in, in the groups, we go through the process of making that decision. And a question I asked just recently was, at what stage will you know? Mm. Um, what will tell you? And one of the replies was uh, a crisis, some crisis. I said, yeah. what if that crisis is so huge that you're not able to be the carer mm. anymore? Yeah. You know, sure. So, mm. yes, yeah, so I think we'll take a listen to the clip from the notebook and then um, we'll go into a song thereafter and we'll be back. I mean, Lorna, I, the work that you do is absolutely amazing. So, mm. if you've just tuned in, I'm in studio with Lorna Quinn. Um, she she um, runs a support group um, and, um, yeah, for Alzheimer's um, sufferers and for carers. And I'm with Jonathan Sinclair who works with me and we're discussing Alzheimer's disease this afternoon. Every four seconds, someone is diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease. So what happened in the story? Which one did you choose? And they lived happily ever after. Who? Who did? Oh, boy. As fast as time goes. Mm-hmm. 
miles. It flies right on by. No, yes, it does. And every lovely. to a memory care facility, the place where she will spend the rest of her life. There was no movie-style ending to the conclusion to the first part of our lives. No tearful goodbyes. I drive the 15 miles from our home without explanation. I take her hand and lead her into her new home. I tell her that she needs changes to her medication that require her to stay a few days. She smiles, but I do not sense a level of understanding. We are met and greeted warmly by several of the professional staff who guided us to the room that will be her new home. We walk slowly. She stops several times to admire the artwork that punctuates the hallway to her room. She has always loved art. Over the years, she passed on that appreciation to me, one of the many gifts she gave me the first 50 years of our life together. We visited hundreds of art museums around the world and shared our enjoyment of some of the greatest masterpieces. Along the way, she gets excited about the pictures of other residents' children and grandchildren. She worked with children all of her life, and today they are the one thing that can get her to rise above her disease. She loves them all. We reached her room and she smiles again with recognition of many of the things she has loved through the years that I have secretly moved here. Her collections of Native American art, crystal hearts, and books catch her attention. She glances around the room her eyes coming to rest on the many photographs of family and friends, living and deceased, and she beams yet again. They are all alive in her mind, and although many of the names are forgotten, the memory of their love and friendship is clear and strong. Far too soon, the support staff returns to divert her so that I can leave without her knowing I have gone. I leave thinking positively that we will continue to share experiences as we have in the past. I will just have to share those experiences for the both of us. I have memories of the past and hopes for the future, but Alzheimer's has taught me the importance of the moment. Nothing else really matters. Each day is complete with its victories and setbacks, and I rejoice or feel sorrow as each occurs. Tomorrow is very far away. That is so special. The moment is so important. 
Well, if you've just tuned in, um, I'm Dr. Cindy, and I'm in studio with Lorna Quinn and Jonathan Sinclair. Lorna is from um, an organization that works with Alzheimer's um, sufferers and with um, carers as well. And, you know, Lorna, that, that clip spoke about, you know, how this man has taken his wife to a place of, of assisted care. Um, assisted care, in your, op- in your opinion, good, bad, what's your opinion on assisted care? And when is the decision made mm-hmm. to then take a relative into care? Yeah, I'm often asked that question, what should I do? Yeah. And there is, uh, no, each one is different. Each family has, has a different, um, idea of care. And one's got to respect that. There are people who, who care, um, professional people who, who care for, um, sufferers at home. Um, and, other carers who cannot manage at home anymore, and if best care is the criteria, then the move is is a is a good one. But it's not for everybody. Um, as I said, affordability is is a is an issue as well. And I think, I mean, for me, I'm always thinking of primary health care. I'm always thinking of um, you know the lower LSM groups. I'm thinking of the black community, for example. Mm. You know, the lower income. Say, for example, in in some parts of Soweto, mm. um, do you see Alzheimer's disease? In black people as well Have you seen Have you had any cases Of Alzheimer's In black people Yes definitely um, there, there has been a study um, At uh, the University Of the Free State mm. And uh, by um, Mr. Rickus van der Poel And Professor Milan Haynes mm. And the result Of that study Has been That there is More than expected Cases of dementia mm. In the black community uh, The urban black community And I mean Just outside You mentioned The issue of Um uh, you know, maybe AIDS orphans who mm. are not being looked after the, by their grandparents, and then maybe one of their grandparents then develops Alzheimer's. Just the whole, yes. just thinking about that made me teary-eyed. Yeah, Luna. yeah. We've got to to look at everything that is happening in our mm. society. Um, you know that that impact on this, and that that is a huge impact. I know. Just talking about the costing that mm. medical aids don't really. Look at Alzheimer's and throw money at it. Uh, if you were to say that my spouse needs permanent care for Alzheimer's, they're not going to pay for that. So when it does come to that point of needing to pay for them for permanent care mm. um, and for the treatment that goes along with it, it's, it comes out your own pocket. The oh. medical aids, they don't treat it as a cancer or as a tumor or as something like that. Oh, that's, di- that's difficult. Yeah. I mean, both of you have mentioned um, a situation where Sometimes the patients can't swallow, so now that will need assisted feeding, yes. like a nasogastric tube or something. Yes. Um, sometimes there there is um, debate around whether to feed via tube, mm. um, whether that is um, the way to go. Is it no. you know? Is it more invasive? Is it the procedures? One's got to weigh up. You know, at what stage is that person? Um, would it prolong their life, not prolong their life? But also, you know, what are you prolonging, you know? Um, Correct. If, if by the time someone would get on a feeding tube, they're mm. pretty much bedridden. And uh, I know with uh, bringing back to my experience, my gran, they said that she was going into kidney failure. And, of course, the family just said, do what needs to be done. We don't want her to go into kidney failure. Yeah. And a few months after we put the feeding tube in, we realized we weren't supposed to do this. It was her time to go. And now we're just keeping her alive in this bed. 
And uh, my grandfather eventually said to the doctor, please, will you take the feeding tube out? Mm. And he said, we can't. He says, we can't put it in and then take it out. Mm. So we added on a good 10 months of suffering to to my grand's life where she was literally in a bed, mm. unable to move, unable to do anything, just being fed on a tube. with. And that, that's know. understandable because, I mean, the, obviously your love and the human Part mm. can't yeah. say, you know, switch off the machine or take no. out the feeding mm. tube. Mm. And that then brings me to the next thing, mm. a sister dying, you mm. know. Mm. Is that an option? You know, I think Terry Pratchett's passing away yeah. brought that to the fore for us. Well, you know, Terry Pratchett, I think we were discussing, he passed away last week or just yeah, a little just bit last before week, that. Yeah. And he was diagnosed with Alzheimer's and he was a big advocate of assisted dying. Mm. And I don't know, how do you feel about this, Lorna? Uh, do you think this is something that we should look into as a country? Or I think first we um, look at it very, very carefully, you know, debate it very, very well. Mm. Um, I think it has its its place in such a debate. Mm. It's so also have, difficult. Oh, sorry. So, Dr. have you had any? Have you come across any families that we have requested that, or not? From not from you, from the from the the doctor. No, I haven't. Mm-mm. But wished for because the suffering mm. is so long and so profound. It's mm-hmm. uh, different with other illnesses where perhaps the patient can decide for themselves. I mean, if someone is really suffering with cancer in stages, they can say, "I want to die now." But when someone, when their illness affects their brain. And they can't make rational decisions. How do you go about it then? Yes. And then, then those kind of decisions need to pre- be preempted up front. Mm-hmm. So in so other words, if they have a living will, et cetera, is that what you're saying? Yeah, definitely. I think it's also important to have a living will in terms of saying, if ever I need a feeding tube, Please I do don't this. want mm, it. Yes. If ever I need a machine, I don't want it, you yeah, know, yeah. it really can help. But let's see what uh, Terry Pratchett had to say. Um, he made a, a whole movie about it. And uh, this is just the trailer. So give it a listen. Okay. My name is Terry Pratchett, and I write fantasy novels for a living. I am 62, and I was diagnosed with Alzheimer's three years ago. Sometimes, particularly when I'm depressed, I dread what the future may hold. And it occurred to me that in these modern times, one shouldn't have to fear that sort of thing. I'm talking about assisted dying, which is currently not legal in this country. What you are about to watch may not be easy, but I believe it's important. The people I will meet in this film are all, like me, considering how they will die. Is it possible for someone like me, or like you, to arrange for themselves the death that they want? Wow. Mm. That was an interesting clip. It's a tough one to decide, you know. It Mm. is, yes. I I don't know. I just think uh, I, I sometimes feel like we are more sort of humane to our animals, you know, when they are really suffering and we say it's time to go. But with humans, we literally have to hang on until the last day of, mm-hmm. and I mean, with Alzheimer's, you could lie in a bed for up to, I'm sure you've seen cases, five years, 10 years, That's you right. know, uh, if, right, yes. if your, if your body is still healthy, but your mind is gone. Yeah. 
and then what? Yeah, I'm sure that comes from hope. I, 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 oh gosh, that's We've such got, a difficult one. Yeah, we've got to take into consideration people's value systems, what their religions dictate. Mm. Um, lots of things in that. Mm. Mm. It's a big one. Mm. So what what should people do? Um, you provide a support group, but is it? How do you support someone with Alzheimer's? Because most of the time they don't know they have it. Mm. So is your support group mainly focused on the caregivers and the families? It is mostly um, for that. And it's about caregiver well-being. Um, it's about helping them create a support system for themselves. Mm-hmm. It's about um, uh, giving information for the road ahead. Mm-hmm. What What is there to be expected? And by, hopefully by the time that they get there, they are more equipped. Mm-hmm. Um, with the people with dementia, um, for me it's important to keep the conversation going for as long as possible. So when I visit somebody and I have to say every time I go there, Hi, it's Lorna. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I had a gentleman ask me, what do you do? And I've been with him probably two years visiting mm. him now. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, oftentimes from sentence to sentence, uh, an Alzheimer's or a dementia patient will forget. Mm-hmm. And it can be very frustrating answering the same questions and reassuring them. And also dealing with things that you might not see um, if they say, who are these people in the room? And you mm. say, there's no one in the room. It's just us. Yes. Or what was that noise? And you didn't hear any noise. Know, and you just have to realize so they're in a different frame of mind. And I suppose we can't understand it until we're there. And the memories of of your granny, um, um, Jonathan, like, do you remember how she was before or do you now just remember the last days? I tend to, I try to remember her before. Um, Obviously, it's difficult because in the last few months, we always would visit her, but it was actually soul destroying to visit her. Uh, You you never left there feeling good. Um, And, uh, you know, it got to a point where my grandfather would say goodbye to her and he would say, Joe, you close your eyes and you don't wake up. He said, you go to sleep and you stay asleep. We all just wanted her to be out of that, that hell that mm. she was in. And yeah, it, it was the most trying thing I've ever seen or been through in my life. Um, it brought our family closer together. We had no other choice. I mean, and that's know, a blessing. I mean, your family stayed close together, but yeah. there's some families that probably disintegrates it, yeah. during such a time. Yes, it, it is difficult for some families, you know, mm. each, each person is coping with, with their emotional um, being <laughs> and uh, challenges yeah. in a different way. Mm-hmm. And so you might have um, family members that are in Australia and mm-hmm. they come and visit and tell you how to do things. Yes, mm, but I they see. don't know. <laughs> that is such a good point because yeah. they might see you getting frustrated with the patient mm-hmm. and think you're treating them badly. But mm-hmm. when you're in that situation 24 hours a day looking That's after right. that person, That's different. you can mm-hmm. expect that frustration. Mm-hmm. And when they ask the same question, there comes a point where you stop answering because you know they're going to ask that same question in a few moments again. Mm. So it, it's a difficult one, you know. I'm, I'm really, I mean, I'm really surprised by the issue of medical aid not covering all the costs. I think when I'm Minister of Health, that's one of the things I'm going to look into because mental health issues are so ignored. I think we spoke about this earlier, mm, Lorna. Yeah. They're not taken as seriously as um, I'd like them to be taken. Mm. But hats off to all those who campaign for 
more assistance and yeah. um, those are people like the Alzheimer's South Africa mm-hmm. um, and other mental um, health uh, organizations South African Depression Group is one of them there are many Mm. Yeah. So I suppose if anyone's listening and they think that they, you know, they know someone in their family who may be, um, be suffering from Alzheimer's, you can call the Alzheimer's Society of South Africa and their number is 011-346-2757, but I'll tweet this number. Or you can call, or you can go to Lorna's website, which is www.lornaquinn, L-O-R-N-A-Q-I-N-N.co.za. Um, the other thing I wanted to ask you, Lorna, mm. um, I mean, when I was still a medical student, we used to see patients admitted with dementia, elderly patients tied to the bed, you know, because they're, 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 they're struggling too much and they're sedated and so on. What are your thoughts on that? Um, I found it very cruel. I mean, you'd get there and the granny's arm is swollen, her hand is swollen because she's really be like tied, tightly to the side, to the side of the bed. Yeah. I, it was so hard range. There is behavior that becomes aggressive and, yeah. um, oppositional. There yeah. is that. But when, one's always got to look at what are the triggers? What, what has happened just before this person has come in? It's a different environment. Is it too noisy? Um, are they thoroughly confused? Do they need a bit of reassurance? Um, I would say restraint, the last resort. Um, uh, something which Lorna brought up now, which I actually forgot about was the anger. There was a stage where, and right up till the end, before my grand stopped talking, oftentimes she would get extremely angry. And uh, the nurses who were taking care of her were so understanding. And my grand was never a woman to be racist, but when she was going through this disease, she would hurl racist comments at them. Mm-hmm. And they would just take it in their stride. They would never lash out or do anything to harm her. And I think the caregivers and those taking care really have to be patient and just know that this is not this person that's speaking. Well, I, well it's funny enough you bring that up because when I was working at Helen Joseph, I was doing orthopedics, there was a, an elderly granny, a white granny, that had slipped and broken her hip. And when she came in and I was trying to help and put up a drip on her, she kept shouting and swearing at me. And she's like, I'm lost, me, lost, me, you're swat, boy, Yankee. And, you know, and I, I couldn't be angry with her. Because mm-hmm. I, I understood that you know she was demented and she'd broken her hip and we were trying to to you know to set it theater mm-hmm. so she could go to theater. But yeah, she was hurling insults at me. But you're right, you and, can't and be angry. And they do, you know, when when that appropriateness has gone, and they do the sort the social, of thing, the social filters have yes, fallen away. Yes, yes. Um, you know, then it's important to be trained and to have knowledge of dementia that it doesn't get taken personally. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, yeah. But it can, it was quite unnerving, I must say. Mm. <laughs> I found it really strange, mm. but yeah. Mm. Often also, towards the sort of middle stage, um, before she had to be hospitalized and stuff, the stories, sh- she wouldn't lie, but she would honestly believe the stories, and mm. she would sort of badmouth other family members to other family members and say the most horrific things about them, that they had said this to her and they had done this to her, and then you would find out later that story never happened, mm-hmm. and you just have to keep in mind that they really do believe those stories. Yes, like, not, like delusions. They're um, not lying. Yeah, I, I had an incident That's once where I went into a home and uh, there was a lady sitting there and she shouted at me, why was I not there when the people broke in? Now, mm. this incident didn't happen, yeah. but somehow yeah. I, I was I- implicated. So I, I 
apologized profusely mm-hmm. and went along with her story. Yeah. Yeah. And for the caregivers, especially, you can sort of lose touch with reality because if you, like you say, the easiest is just to go along with the story. But eventually spending a lot of time, you begin to question your own sanity and it's very difficult and it is imagine. important to have other people supporting you. And that's why you need you. time out. Very, you need to work yeah. as a team. Yes. Yeah. You yes. need to work as a team. Yeah. And in terms, just before I forget, Jonathan, mm. in terms of disability grants, okay, so just say that the elderly, pay, so, okay, say it's an elderly uh, Alzheimer's patient, they get grants anyway, right? They qualify for disability for, for elderly elderly grant. But if you're less than sixty three or whatever the age is, could you apply for disability grant and get it? I've, I've, I wonder. I'll find out. Yeah, I'm not sure, maybe, but I do know that do the grant is very little. I know it's mm-hmm. like one thousand and something, mm-hmm. but I suppose anything, every penny counts in a situation like this. Definitely. Yeah. Sure, mm-hmm. Jonathan. Your family, your parents. You know, mm-hmm. who's your, your granny was whose parent? Uh, my gran was my mom's mom. Okay, and how was your mom? How did your mom cope with all of this? It was really difficult. Um, at that time, they were living in Joburg, and uh, we used to try and help out as much as we could. But there were a lot of difficult issues for me as a male in my 20s to have to take my grand to the bathroom or to have to do personal things like that was very difficult. Um, eventually, uh, they found that there was a great place in uh, Bloemfontein where okay. they would take care of her. And eventually, they moved down there. And uh, I think they moved there just in time because it wasn't a few months that they were there and she was bedridden and the feeding tube was in and all that stuff. But, yeah, it it took its toll on us. Everyone coped in their own way. Mm. Um, like, you can only cry so much. Mm. And eventually we just got used to it. And we were all very relieved when my grand passed on, although we were sad. We mm. just knew that she wasn't in that hell anymore. Yeah, the suffering had come to an end. And we were more also just relieved for my grandfather that he could now live his life because mm. even though she was bedridden, almost in a coma for months in the end, he would still sit there all day with her. Mm. He wouldn't leave her side, you know what I mean? So, yeah, it took its toll on the whole family, but... We and the guilt, through. Lorna, I mean, you, you obviously deal with relatives that feel guilty after the person has passed away. Maybe they could have done better or maybe they should have yeah. done this. Mm. What do you have to say about that? Uh, I always say that, that guilt is, is very unwelcome in our, in our groups because it, um, requires of the person to, to be better carers and they should, you know, mm-hmm. a lot of should, you should do this and you should do that. And, they it takes their eyes off what they've done already the mm-hmm. the achievements yeah. of caring that they have done already so it's it's not welcome and it's counterproductive to yeah. to well-being yeah. Yeah. i think sometimes people feel they failed that they couldn't take care of them at home and they've sold out by they sending do. them to a facility mm. that's yes. the thing and yes. that's an overwhelming feeling i'm sure mm. but the the inner critic doesn't help i think what does help is is to say um i followed the best care approach um, uh, i think you do the um, I was human. Yeah. yeah, that no, is so true. Sure. Well, Jonathan, I mean, is there anything that you want to say if, if someone's listening and and they can relate to what you, you you know what you've gone through? Is there anything, any encouragement you want to give before we hand over to Lorna to give us all her details sure. of where we can find her? I want to say, if a family member is going through that, you you have to just accept it. I, I find I try to fight it. That's my natural instinct to go in there and do it. And I would try do little brain quizzes with my gran, and I would try. <sighs> take her for a walk and I would try mm. get her out the house try get her out the chair 
um, try to get her to exercise, but she wasn't interested in any of it, and that's what frustrated me the most. But, you know, there was nothing I could do, and I think it, it, the earlier you accept what is happening, the better, and also just ask for help, um, especially if you are the, the main caregiver. You need a mm. lot of time out, mm. and don't be afraid to ask people please come and sit with so-and-so for an hour while I just go to the bank or I go to the mall. Don't try to take them with you and leave them in the car. Don't try to take them to the shop. It's overwhelming. Yeah. So, but wow. I think we're all human and you just got to do the best in that situation that you can. Yeah, Luna. And where can people find you? I mean, I've got a few tweets here. I mean, Ursula Strauss hmm. says that, you know, her gran has it and she says you guys are hitting all the points of the disease so she can relate to what yeah. you're going through. And, you know, Janine Zeal says that, you know, if she was a burden to her family, she'd definitely want, she'd opt for a sister dying. So, you mm-hmm. know. So, yes, I would say, um, get your people on board the medical, in the medical fraternity, um, support groups like what, what I do, people like Alzheimer's South Africa, Dementia South Africa, um, whatever you feel is, is the way you want to approach it. Get those people on board. Mm. I can be reached through Alzheimer's South Africa or my website. Um, and something that, that I, I was just thinking about as you were talking about your gran is how you've carried this forward and a listener, um, has well, responded. She can, she can identify and, what, what some of the carers do when, amazing. when their loved ones pass on. They come back to the group. Mm. That's amazing That's to so share. Amazing. Yes, they, everyone because else. they have rich, rich experience. No. So then it's a question of who's the expert. Well, I think mm, that Jonathan sure. should also become. You know, she, he should. Yeah, join no. Alzheimer's South Africa. The caregivers, know. they really need support, and that's why I appreciate yeah. what you mm. do because I know what it means for those people who come to your support group. Yeah. Just to know that they're not the only people going through. And there are other people there yeah. as well. They can Definitely. identify. Definitely, but they become friends. They become the the support. The yeah. yeah. But Lorna, so if you're looking for Lorna, you can find her at Alzheimer's SA 011-346-2757 You can also call the helpline 0860-102-681 and you can find her on her website um, lornaquin.co.za L-O-R-N-A-Q-I-N dot C-O-Z-A Q, yeah, Q-U Oh, Q-U-I-N dot C-O-Z-A So it's Lorna Quinn L-O-R-N-A-Q-U-I-N dot C-O-Z-A 